Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an from our teaching team. Hey, uh, great to be with you tonight. Welcome to Encounter. If we haven't met before, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Encounter. It's so good to be with you tonight as we continue on with our Christmas series, Golden. And the point behind Golden is that in all of the Bible, there is a golden weaving through everything, and it connects with Jesus. Everything connects with Jesus. But we don't always see that very clearly. So the point of the series is to help us see Jesus in all of the Bible. You with me so far? Good. All right. Last prophet Daniel and how Daniel and his holiness was one of the ways we saw the holiness of Jesus before Jesus came. And we learned a word. Do we remember the word we learned? Prefigure. We learned the word prefigure. That comes before. An early indication or an early version. So Daniel prefigured Jesus. Now, I'm going to launch straight into the sermon today. No stories up top, nothing fun like that. I just don't have time here till like, you know, 8.30 and we need to get to Faster Pastor at some point. So I don't know. But whenever I'm talking to other pastors, I say, listen, my congregation is the best looking, the the most engaging and the most intelligent. And that last one means you can stick with me for a long time in a complicated subject. So I'm really glad you all agree with me about that stuff. So let's dig in to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, where Isaiah's Jesus is. Now, the book of Isaiah is the longest and maybe most complicated of all the great prophets. But because it's, the, it's kind of the most major of what's called the major prophets, he's got a lot to say to us, particularly. The overarching narrative covers a whole range of different topics, as you might imagine, because the book has 66 chapters. Like We are going for a while in Isaiah, but it's quite important that we get our head around it. So I'm going to take you on an overview of the book of Isaiah today. That's good, because I haven't even started yet. If you're the note-taking type, this is your night. This is your night. I see those interns out in the front. Come on. Respect. First section of Isaiah, different sections. Chapters 1 to 39. Now, this was written by Isaiah himself, a prophet who lived around 720 BC. And the major feature is Isaiah pointing at the corruption and rebellion of Israel. He's living in what's called the kingdom of Judah, part of Israel. And he's pointing to the corruption of the kings and the people and saying, this is going to come at a cost. It's going to go badly for us. And he points to future invasions by Babylonians and then Assyrians, actually Assyrians and then Babylonians. And at the end of this section, Israel does get taken into exile into Babylon. And I spoke a little bit about that last week in Daniel. So it's a big feature of the Old Testament, the exile of the Jewish people. But despite all this, God says through Isaiah, the fulfillment of God's promises is coming from a future king, from the line of David, the greatest Jewish king, to lead Israel to covenant obedience and deliver God's blessing to the nation. Part one. And the new king is going to be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. You're going to get some little seedlings in here that you notice along the way. The section number two, chapters 40 to 55, is likely written around 500 BC, probably by Isaiah's disciples. And this part is sort of split in two. 
At the top, there's this announcement of hope. The exiles in Babylon can now return to Jerusalem and rebuild it, which is very exciting for a group firmly believed that the presence of their God was mostly manifest in the temple of God in Jerusalem. So this was a big deal. And if you've ever read the book of Nehemiah or Ezra, you see the rebuilding of the city. But God says that in order to rebuild Jerusalem, he needs to do a new thing. And so in the latter part, up behind me, we hear about the servant. God sends a servant empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a light to all the nations and to be his messenger ends of the earth. Isaiah says that this servant will justify people and intercede for the rebels. Yet despite saving everyone from judgment and destruction, this servant will be rejected and killed. His death would be a sacrifice, not his own. And in chapter 53, we read, he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. And so he becomes known not just as a servant, but as a suffering servant. But this wasn't the end. Because did not sin, he would be raised from the dead. Stop me if you've heard the story before. As a result, he swallows up death forever. And even after death, the dead will live and their bodies will rise. I'm just quoting Isaiah left and right here, sprinkling it in for you. Has created a way for right relationship with God to happen, what we call righteousness. And at the end of this section, Isaiah shows two ways of responding to this. Two types of people. One kind of people are what we call the servants servant, or what Isaiah calls the seed. And those people respond with humility and repentance. They see what the suffering servant has done, and their response is an overflow of humility and repentance and thankfulness, and they will see the kingdom. Isaiah identifies another group of people who will reject what God brings, and he calls those people simply the wicked. He's a prophet. Prophets don't really mince words like that. And the wicked will continue to reject both the suffering servant servants. They'll reject all of them. And that leads us to the final section. The final section, chapters 56 to 66, shows us how these humble, repentant servants inherit the kingdom of God, part of God's new covenant family. Now, this section is written in what's called a chiasm, another new word for you. A chiasm is a poetic structure where the outer edges mirror each other, and then it comes in towards the middle. So I'm not going to go through all giving you the picture behind you with some nice color coding so you can see how it all works in, right? So this was a common Hebrew literature style. They would write in this poetic way, and there's a, a point right in the middle, and then it comes back out at the start, and then back out. And as you might imagine, the point in the middle is the bit you really want to pay attention to. And so at the end of Isaiah, the most major prophets, in the most ma- as it comes to the culmination of all of it, this poetry that is at the end four books comes to this culmination in one chapter, chapter 61, the verses we read today, right at the center. This suffering servant who has saved God's people is now declaring this to the nations, is gathering himself, and Isaiah uses this language for it. He calls it good news, good news. So this is the message of Isaiah in two sentences, which some of you are thinking, why didn't you just start with this? But bear with me suffering servant king, God creates a covenant family of all nations who are awaiting the hope of God's justice and bringing a renewed creation where God's kingdom finally comes here on earth as it is in heaven. That's from Tim Project. He's a smart guy. How good is that? That is Isaiah in like four minutes, okay? 
66 chapters in four minutes. Bible Project took 16. You're welcome. So, well, thank you. It's not why I did it, but thank you. Now, why, why are we going through all of this? Why are we taking the time to dig into that? And if you feel like you've just been like actually literally Bible bashed just then, that is kind of what just happened. We needed to go through that and so we could get to understand this. Why is explaining this whole complex structure, this major prophet important to you today? Because Isaiah, probably more than any other book in the Old Testament, except maybe Psalms, points for There are dozens of references to the Messiah, to God's suffering servant, to the true king of Israel. There are at least 13 prophecies that I can point you to that not only point forward to Jesus, but there is a clear cross-reference in the You can just go ping, 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 from Isaiah to the New Testament. But even more, Jesus himself claimed the prophecies of Isaiah for himself. He just walked in and took it. This Isaiah 61 passage that Jazz read to us today is himself used to announce himself to the world and say, guys, here I am. I'm the Messiah. You're welcome. And this is how he did it. In Luke's gospel, we hear that Jesus, who has already prepared himself with years of study and prayer, he's been on and had the Holy Spirit fall on him in Galilee. He's fasted and prayed in the desert and been tempted by the devil. He performed miracles and taught scripture in Galilee. And then he comes home, home to Nazareth, where he grew up. He enters the Sabbath, which for Jesus is like coming to church on Sunday. And he takes the scroll and he stands up to read the text and he gets the scroll of Isaiah, which means he could choose wherever he wanted to read from. And he went straight to chapter 61. What we heard today, the spirit of the Lord is on me, etc., etc. And then he looks around at everybody and the scripture said, all eyes were on him. And he said, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Kind of like if Jazz read the teaching text today and at the end of it said, I am the Messiah. This is happening. And we all, as her close friends, were like, ah, uh, I have some follow-up questions. <laughs> the kind of moxie that Jesus took there. He turned straight to the heart of this book that speaks so clearly to the future of Israel and all the hope they have. Remember, they're living under Roman oppression at this time. It's not unlike in Babylon. It's just they're doing it in Israel under Roman rule. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah you've been waiting for. I am the Savior. I'm the one that's going to take you out of here into the promised land. That's part of the message. So where is Jesus in Isaiah? This is where he is. He's the future king from David's line, the one named Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one to lead Israel to covenant obedience with God and deliver blessing to the nations. He is the new thing God is doing to restore Israel. He's the servant to be a light for the nations to the ends of the earth. He justifies many and intercedes for the rebels. He's rejected and killed by his people. He's raised up and exalted. He swallows death forever. He creates a way for right relationship with God. He calls his servants to follow him. He declares the good news, bringer of God's ultimate justice, and he's ushering in the new creation where God's kingdom comes on earth as in heaven. So where is Jesus in Isaiah? He's everywhere. It's not a thread. It's a rope tug-of-war rope throughout Isaiah that says Jesus is coming. That's good news. And why is that good news for you? Well, as you imagine, quite a lot of reasons. But I want to focus on one thing really clear in Isaiah. Salvation. Salvation. 
Now, one, this is one of the biggest and most confronting concepts in Christianity, the idea that we need saving and that the only is Jesus. This is very confronting. Some might even argue that it's kind of immoral because at the, at, at the end of the day, if we're saying this, we're ultimately trying to convert people. And yes, yes, this, like, let, let me just be honest. Yes, as Christians, we're doing that, not because we believe that like worse than us, but we want them to understand who Jesus is and to know them personally. That's, that's the thing. It's a person we want them to know, not a set of rules we're desperate for people to follow. The others that it's immoral, but they might say it's unnecessary. They might say, listen, I get it, but I'm basically a good person. I'm basically a good person. But what we hear in the Bible is that we're not basically good. We're basically selfish. We are, we, we are rarely as generous and kind and selfless and altruistic as we would like to think we are. And even when we manage to get some of that stuff right, there are the inner motives, because God, even though he very much wants Actions. He wants to see us do with our hands. He looks at the heart and says, why are you doing this? What's, what's going on? Who are you really doing this for? And so often what's behind our actions is sin. Now, sin, this is not a message on sin, so let me keep it simple. Sin is effectively a failure to align our thoughts and words and deeds with the will and wisdom of God. That's basically what it is. A failure to align our thoughts and words and deeds with God's will plan and his wisdom, his, his understanding and intention for us. It's an act of rebellion against God because it's claiming that we know what's right for us more than God does, the one who made us. And it rejects God's holiness, not just his rules. Hear me. When we reject God's holiness, we're not saying, I don't want your rules, because God himself is holy. So we're saying, I don't want your character. I don't want who you are, God. That's what we do reject the person of God. You with me so far? Okay. A few less people this time. God is holy. And so sin is, in essence, a crime against the of God. And crimes require justice. So God must be a God of justice. Because if he is not a God of justice, he is unworthy of our worship. Amen? He's, he, he would be a false... And make no mistake, every single one of us has sinned. We've sinned against God. So how do you make right a crime that you have committed against a perfect being, an infinite God? Saying sorry is hard enough to an imperfect person, let alone to a... And the answer is you don't. Perfection and imperfection do not mix. If you've got one glass of perfection and one of imperfection and you mix them together, do you know what you have? Imperfection. That's, that's how imperfection works. It's like adding a positive to a negative. You're just going to get a negative. But God is not only a God of justice, he's a God of love. And because he made human beings in his image, even when they sin and rebel against him, he loves us. And if you have kids of your own, you might be familiar with the particular heartbreak that happens when you pour out your love on kids and you get some sort of indifference or rejection. And, and, and it is heartbreaking, even if it's temporary at times. That's a casual cruelty that children can sometimes So as an act of love... Jesus came to us as an act of justice. Jesus died for us. Love and justice, hand in hand. And because he lived a perfect life and is the son of God, he defeated death. He was physically resurrected, healing that tear made by sin. What does that mean for you? It means you have a decision to make. Let's go back to Isaiah for a second. 
At the end of Isaiah, we hear that the suffering has died on our behalf. He has risen again in glory and he's made a way for right relationship with God. We have now been gifted his righteousness. Okay? Now, I need a volunteer. Potts, volunteer. I volunteer you. Coming up here, buddy. Because you... You've all been doing really well to sit and listen for a while. It's a warm afternoon, so let's, let's re-engage. Potts, I need this for me. Can you do that? Long hair and a beard. Sandals. <laughs> I miss those days. <laughs> now, okay, can you stand here for me, Potts? Okay, now, when all this stuff that Jesus has for us, when we have his righteousness, the Bible calls this being in Christ, okay? So take Potts here. We imagine him as Jesus. It's an easy imagination with Potts, isn't it? God, God. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we effectively stand within his righteousness. It's not mine, it's his. And so the problem is, sometimes we think about it as if like Jesus is standing between angry God. Like angry God is up here and Jesus is here and we're standing behind sort of like, oh, peekaboo God, it's okay. Don't get mad. Hi, hi, it's okay. Jesus is here. Don't get mad. Don't smite me down. Okay. That's the wrong way to look at it. That's the We can say things like God sees Jesus, not us. Not true. God sees us. Okay. It's different. The work's been done. Sin has been defeated. It's more like this. Okay. Step back a second, Potts. Okay. Now just wrap your arms around me real quick. Well, I mean, don't hurt me. Like, you know. Is that how you cuddle? Is that how he cuddles? Alicia? Don't answer that. You're not married yet. (laughs) We just rest nourished, comfortable in the loving arms of Christ. We're in Christ's love. We stand in his work, in, in his righteousness. And so when I make the choice to be what Isaiah calls a servant rather than the wicked, I make the choice to follow Jesus and I receive the gift of his righteousness, and I get to be in Jesus is holding me close. I am within him. You with me? No, you can let go. Thanks, boss. <laughs> well, I needed to hold the hands there at the end. Away. What does that mean? This is what it means. It means I have his grace. I am chosen by him. I am loved and protected. <laughs> Did I rule? I'm so sorry, team. Should I go handheld, Tommy? <laughs> what a legend. Up there. That's what it means I have his grace. I'm chosen by him. I'm loved and protected by him. I'm forgiven by him. I'm justified by him. And I've been made a new creation and a child of God by him. Every one of those verses refers to being Christ, which means saying yes to following him. It says, yes, I choose to be the servant, not one of the wicked. It's your choice. It's your choice. All because I'm in Christ, but it requires a choice. Am I or not? Jesus has done the work, not just for me, for 
everyone, whether we know it or not. If you live in the deepest jungle of the Amazon, if you live in the middle of the Sahara, Jesus has died and been resurrected for you. But it's up to you to say, I choose to stand with the servants or not to. I choose to reject that. That is up to us. Will we receive the saving grace of God or not? And here's where it gets fun and personal for you and for me. Jesus, the suffering servant, has made the way in Christ to be righteous before God. We just say yes or no. We choose whether we are in Christ or not. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 begins with, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. If anybody. And if you've been to Encounter or most modern churches, you may have seen us do what we call a salvation response. This is where we get people to stand up or put their hands up to give their life to Jesus. Introverts love it. It says respond to the Jesus in their life. Now this, however, can cause some problems. I am part of the problem and the solution. Sometimes when we create salvation responses, we cause what I call a touchdown mentality to happen. And this is where people believe that all they do is put up their hand on the right day to get to heaven. It's like, it's like the cross lotto at church. There are all sorts of problems with that statement, like multiple, multiple theological problems. Don't unpack it. But the one I want to focus on is the idea that like a touchdown is just getting across the line, all right? That you just have to get across the line of salvation. You get the ball over the line, then you stop. That's the win. That's the achievement. It's not. Because what we see in Isaiah is a different kettle of fish. In Isaiah, we hear that these new followers of Jesus servants. They humble themselves to follow him, and then they're sent out on mission. We might call it Monday invading, to be a part of sharing the good news about the servant's salvation with the whole world. It doesn't start, it's kind of just starting. And so there's, we would call these things now discipleship and mission. And discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. Mission is sharing that good news with the world through our words and deeds. And so there's actually a whole journey in being a Christian, it's not just about saying yes to Jesus and then floating off to heaven. It is about saying yes to Jesus and then having a meaningful, effective life for him here in the world right now. We make this world a better place because of Christ's death and resurrection. That shouldn't cause us to pull away from the world, but to dive in and go, how can I make the world a better place? And every seed of that in our hearts is an echo of what God has put there when we were made in his image. How can I make the world around me a better place? cry of God's heart. So salvation is less like a touchdown and more like a hike. There's a long journey ahead. Now, in 2005, I hiked Mount Fuji when I lived in Japan, and that's its own story. It's a pretty good story, actually. But Mount Fuji has what the Japanese call stations. There are 10 stations from the bottom to the top. And when you get past the first one, you're officially on the mountain, and that part's kind of easy. But you don't really get started on the climb until you get up to the and the Japanese call that station the Sky Palace, which is sensational. You get up to the Sky Palace, and, you, and actually, by the time you get up there, you've started to hike a little bit. You're, you're sweating, and then you look up, and you realise the real work is ahead of you. Now, after that is where the hike gets real. After that is where you're slowly but steadily getting closer to the top. You, you with me on the analogy? Like, that's the hike. We don't stop because we get to the fifth station. We haven't finished climbing the mountain. We keep going. There's much... That's God's desire for Israel in Isaiah and his gift to the whole world through Jesus. Not just the purchase of eternity with him in heaven, but that we might see the presence of God more powerfully in our lives, invading the earth now. That is a gift to the world. That's why 
uh, Isaiah calls him a light to the nations, salvation to the nations. It's not just for Israel anymore. It's for everyone. It's not just about crossing a line. But there is a line to cross. Even on the journey, there is a line to cross. Even if there's 10 stations, there's still a fifth one to get to and get past. And this is one of the things that's very difficult. Even though the line is one step on your journey, it is a critically important one. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that? And band, you can come back up. Well, let me talk a little bit about C.S. Lewis, just for a change. C.S. Lewis an atheist when he was at Oxford. He was... Uh, he was, he was a, uh, an expert in mythology and, uh, and historical fantasy, as you do. And, uh, and he would have these fascinating conversations with his new friend, Tolkien, just the buddies you make when you're at Oxford. And over a series of months, Lewis began to have these conversations with Tolkien about Christianity. And they were these intellectual conversations, right? They were about the mind. And Tolkien, he began intellectually open to it, as one after another, Tolkien would meet his objections and either counter them or offer that he think about something new. And so one after the other, C.S. Lewis began to be more open to the idea of Christianity. But he is still the line between saying, yes, I'm a Christian, and no, I am not. Now, some people have an emotional response where the keys start on cue, and the heart swells, and you feel it pumping a little bit more, and the Spirit of God. God moves in those moments. That's how I came to faith. A lot of people have those moments, but many, many others don't. And one of the reasons is, well, music might not be their thing, but God definitely is their thing. Even if And C.S. Lewis was like that. He wasn't going to have an emotional response. He'd been mulling over faith in Jesus in his head for some time. And then he went on a trip to the zoo in a place called Whipsnade. And this is what he said in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. He calls himself a history's most reluctant convert. C.S. Lewis writes this, I was driven to Whipsnade one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached this, did. Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. Emotional is perhaps the last word we can apply to some of the most important events. It was more like when a man, after a long lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. Ever had that feeling? You're just, you're just lying in bed asleep and then you're in that state between dreams and awakening and then suddenly you're awake and the surroundings around you get crisper. You realise the reality that you're a part of. You begin to reject the dreams that came before because they're dreams. And instead you go, no, 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 this is reality. It's time. See, C.S. Lewis was an Oxford professor. He is smarter than everyone in this room. God bless you. And I can say that because Jonathan's overseas at the moment. <laughs> and he was never going to just dive in headfirst to an emotional response. That's not who he was. He was not going to make a spontaneous emotional decision about his eternal destiny. He had to think it through, and perhaps we should too. But he also had to make a decision. And friends, I say that because some of you here, you've been sitting on the edge of the pool with following Jesus for a while now. You've been down here, dipping your toes in the water, splashing away, maybe going to a life group, maybe you went to an alpha, maybe you're reading the Bible with a friend. There's a whole bunch of ways you do it. But at some point, 
whether it's an emotional decision or an intellectual response. Make that dive. You've got to dive in. We've got to keep going with the hike past that touchdown moment. And yeah, it's like a touchdown moment. It's a celebration. And then we keep going because God has more. He has more. That's the message of Isaiah. And after a whole discussion this afternoon of how complex God's work was and how deeply we can think about it and how much it means, here's what Paul says about it in Romans. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. Because he goes on to say, one believes with the heart in righteousness. We are in Christ. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. That is what it means to be in Christ. And if you are here today and you're like C.S. Lewis, thinking about faith in Jesus for a while, but you've yet to make a decision, I want to give you an opportunity to jump in the pool, to say yes to Jesus and trust in him for your salvation. And I'm going to do it the same way I always do. But because I've talked to you through it, you will know this is not an emotional response decision. This is more like somebody who's been asleep for a long time and has realised they are awake. Jesus has come, he says, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to those in captivity to sin and brokenness, and to proclaim that God's favour, his blessing is on you. It's good news. It's you. And it's time to make a decision. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. That's all about a bit of privacy because much of this doesn't need to be emotional. This moment's not going to be emotional. It does need to be personal. And I want to reach out right now. And if you are one of those people, you know you've been on the edge of saying, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord. There's only one Jesus. And I need that salvation that he brings and it's time for me to say yes, then I'm going to invite you in a moment to put your hand up. But I also want to invite people, and this is just a word that Jenny had earlier, and I think she's spot on. Some of you back to salvation. You've, you've stuck that hand up, and then you've maybe wandered in the desert for a bit. And it's time to come back to salvation. Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads and pray and see what the Lord does. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.